Welcome to the Wickedly Smart Women podcast, featuring stellar conversations with emerging and established Wickedly Smart Women. Thanks for joining us today as we celebrate women who are committed, care deeply, and have the courage to take action and create conscious change all around the world. Now here's your Wickedly Smart host, Angel B. Hartwell. Welcome to another episode of the Wickedly Smart Women podcast, where we celebrate wickedly smart women and provide our listeners with a wealth of wisdom, along with immediately actionable steps to be smarter, spunkier, and more successful in their impact and their leadership. This is your host, Angel B. Hartwell, and today we welcome our very special guest, Natalie Noisette. Natalie is a credit expert and financial strategist on a mission to help shift our approach to money. Natalie has leveraged her years of experience by founding Credit Conversion, hosting the Mental Money Podcast, and writing Converted, Uncover the Hidden Strategies You Need to Easily Achieve Massive Credit Score Success. Natalie has also created several children's financial literacy books that help kids as old as three years old gain access to financial literacy concepts. And Natalie and I met at the National Publicity Summit. It's always great to give a shout out to those folks over there. So welcome so much to the show. I'm excited to have you here, Natalie. Thank you, Angel, again for having me. I really appreciate that. Well, I would love to start our conversation today, Natalie, with, you know, when did you get turned on to the money thing? You're you're helping kids as little as three years old. Were you right. at three years old, the one in charge of the money at your house? No, not quite. However, <laughs> what first turned me on to the idea of really learning and digging to the concepts of money was the lack of money that we had in our household not being able to meet basic needs, such as sometimes food, sometimes electricity. I started to really pick up on certain things that my parents would discuss and how, what the importance of money really was in a household, to a family, to the individual. And I learned that later on in life through college, if you don't have it, it's going to be really hard in life to navigate. Just a culmination of experiences from childhood and going through college and becoming an adult and learning how to budget and learning about credit cards and student loan debt and the lack of knowledge and the lack of information really created a gap in not only my experiences, but I noticed that my mom had struggled as a single mother. My father struggled to help my mother make ends meet for her children while their children So um, those messages subconsciously really hit hard. Going through therapy for a couple of years, I realized I became like super hyper independent and really like even dependent, like created a weird dependent relationship on money and different aspects because I was taught early, the earliest message I was taught was, you know, you have to rely on yourself and, you know, you're the only one who's going to get it and you can't rely on men because they leave sometimes and, you know, or they go or whatever the case may be is. And it wasn't even about the money. It wasn't about the actual physical currency as much as it is the meanings that were deeply assigned to it in our society and how not having it can affect us on a physical, mental, emotional, spiritual level at times. Mm -hmm. Yeah, beautiful. You said so much in there. What I want to really underscore for our listeners and dig a little bit more deeply into is, you know, you talk about what you didn't know and what your mom didn't know. and 
personally, I was fortunate. My mom was a bookkeeper. Mm. So I definitely knew about money because I knew about bookkeeping, but there's a difference between knowing about bookkeeping, right? How to manage and account for the money and making money or leveraging money or growing money. They're all different levels. And the education system across the board doesn't teach anything really about money, except maybe how to add up $1 plus $1 equals $2. So when you began the process in your own life of becoming more financially literate, like where were the gaps for you? So the first come to Jesus moment I had (laughs) with money was learning that, again, it wasn't about the money as much as it was about delaying gratification. Um, really determining what a need versus a want was, learning that hope was not part of a budget. <laughs> you know, like if you spend it and you spend all of it, you can't hope more is going to come. <laughs> it's like you have to work for it. And then one of the really biggest, one of the biggest lessons I learned around money was exchanging time for money. It was a really hard concept that I had to deal with looking at my paycheck and noticing maybe 2017, 20% going to taxes and then really just recalculating how much time I had spent versus how much I had made. And then like, how valuable is my time really? And those were some of the first lessons that I learned around money. Mm, Yeah. And so when you started to get the lesson around time and money, was, Mm -hmm. was that part of what inspired you to start your own business and move into entrepreneurship? Tell me a little bit about that process. Right. Absolutely. So I've never been asked that question. So the the transition to entrepreneurship definitely did come when I learned that my time and the amount of money that I made couldn't be tied to each other, that I had to make money outside of my time. Um, So I learned quickly how to invest. That was the first thing. That's the first place I put my money. But with so much debt, it was hard because I'm always trying to beat interest and not making enough to invest. So it kind of became a cycle. So I had to eliminate the debt first. And then I learned quickly that once debt was no longer an issue, I can invest and have my money sitting in things like, you know, pools, like crypto pools that would make upwards of 546% compounding, you know? So those kind of ideas and concepts that I started searching and researching and looking into really taught me that I didn't have to work for this. I literally just put it there and it did what it was supposed to do. And um, Warren Buffett speaks to that. He says, you know, if you don't, if you're always working for your money and you're exchanging money for time or time for money, you're never going to have it. It's never going to come. It's never going to be enough because you don't have enough time. There are only so many hours in the day. Yeah. So, so for those listeners out there who are in that bind, because it, mm-hmm. it becomes a bind, it's, it's a psychological bind. It's a spiritual bind. It's a financial bind. It's a mental right. bind. It's an emotional bind. Right. Oftentimes when people are in a bind, they can't see any way out. Right. So one of the magic words that you used was invest. So when you're talking about investing, like baby bird bites for those people out there who are in the bind, like what would be a way for them to start to untie those knots? Believe it or not, get a budget. It's the first place to start. And people always, like, I've always been asked the question, why credit, right? When you look at credit and you really understand why it is your financial blueprint, 
once you can understand where your money's really going, how much debt you're actually in, and you have a really good idea and picture of how much you make versus how much you owe, and you have a budget that tells you, okay, I'm, I have this much coming in, 50% of this is going towards my debt. And then maybe you can move a couple things around, but without a budget, you won't know. So moving that, having those moving pieces will allow you to really have a good understanding, a good picture. So the being in a bind, it's in any regard. Back to your, your last question. If you're going to start a business, having a business doesn't necessarily solve all your money problems. You can have a million dollar business. And if you don't have a really good understanding of expenses versus income, you're going to be in a bind a lot. <laughs> There's going to be a lot of binds. So really getting intimate with your finances. I noticed a lot of my client, like past clients when I used to service, um, do consulting, had a really hard time just looking at the numbers. It was really emotionally triggering. And Part of it is just kind of emotionally removing yourself from those numbers, whether it be, you know, the, the negative in your bank account, because that's a, that's a reality for some people, whether it be the three numbers on your credit score, because that can be kind of triggering, just disarming some of that intimidation around those numbers can be world changing, getting a budget, being real with yourself and looking at, okay, what do I have coming in? Seriously, what do I owe? And then those gaps in between that discretionary income is what we call it is where you can start looking and doing some research about where to put it. What makes the most sense? Where's it going to grow the most? Where can I leverage? What's going to produce the best return on investment? Mm, Beautiful. So one of the things that I've done in my own life and and something that I encourage everyone that I work with to do and and also my listeners to do is invest in yourself yes. first because from my own experience I have found that I create a much larger rate of return than any other kind of investment. So I'd love to have you speak a little bit about is this something that you also recommend? Because you know there are some people who have the mindset of take this discretionary income and put it in the stock market or take this mm-hmm. discretionary income and put it in real estate or take this discretionary income and invest in cryptocurrency now, right? But from my perspective, if you don't know what the hell you're doing, that mm-hmm. can be a problem. So can you talk right. a little bit about what you mean when you say invest? That's okay. I'm glad you asked that because I didn't, I don't want to give the impression that investing is only limited to putting money into the stock market because that is not it. Um, you can invest in yourself, like as you mentioned, hiring a mentor, a coach that will teach you where your strengths are. Even if the only thing that person teaches you is where you can put your time and effort that will produce more money, that is an investment in yourself. Investing is anything that has anything that you spend that produces a return on that spend is an investment. It doesn't take away from your home. It doesn't depreciate. It doesn't remove income like that you can't re- regain. If you're putting money into whether that be the stock market, into a mentor, whether that be something like an Airbnb, it's an investment. That money is going towards making you more money. Beautiful. I love that. And you know that's one of the things that often happens when I'm in sales conversations with people and I help my clients to also get clear on is when somebody ever asks me when I'm in a sales conversation with them, well, how much does this cost? I yeah. immediately know that I need to start coaching them right on the spot and reframe the question because if you come into any kind of consulting or mentorship or coaching kind of engagement with somebody 
with the mindset that it's going to cost. Cost implies that you're going to end up with less on the other side, whereas invest implies that you are going to end up with a return. So we are going to return shortly after this break. But right now we are going to take a quick break. Wickedly Smart Women, we could use your help. If you are enjoying the show and want us to stay on the air, please consider making a donation at www.wickedlysmartwomen.com. We'd also like to ask you to share with your lovely lady friends who you think might benefit from our content. Help a gal out and let your sisters, mothers, daughters, friends, and colleagues know about the show so we can serve them too. I do want to say a big thank you to all of our listeners who are downloading, rating, and reviewing. We're welcoming thousands and thousands and thousands of downloads from all over the world. And we have now got up to 94 countries. And I want to shout out this week to our listeners in Costa Rica, Morocco, and Jamaica. And we will be right back with Natalie Noisette. The Wickedly Smart Women podcast is brought to you by The Wealthy Life Mentor. Women, are you on the edge knowing that life is calling you to make a change? Are you ready to be part of the evolution of what it means to be a wickedly smart woman creating your wealthy life by design, a life that is an extraordinary work of art? Angel B. Hartwell, The Wealthy Life Mentor, is hired by Women in Transition, Women just like you who want to break through to their brilliance, become clear on the value of their wisdom, and embody a beauty-filled, balanced life of shameless self-expression. Discover your wealthy life readiness by taking the quiz at quiz.wealthylifementor.com. And we are back with Natalie Noisette. Um, Before we went to the break, we were talking about investing. Natalie is a credit expert. You can find out more about her at convertedcredit.com. So just go right over to convertedcredit.com and we'll have that for you in the show notes. So I want to talk now about credit because obviously that's what you have expertise in. So I would love to have you talk a little bit about your own journey with credit. Like, were you in deep debt? How did you get out of debt? How do you help other people who are in debt? So I was in deep debt, very deep. (laughs) So before um, the legislation was passed to no longer solicit students on college campuses for credit cards, I was one of those students. So in retrospect, looking back at it, I don't even really know how I was able to get a credit card because as a student, I had no income and debt is based on income. So I definitely got credit cards in college, not knowing how to manage them. And then I didn't really have the support. This is not an excuse. This is just a fact. I didn't really have the support of parents who really knew how to manage that either. So we would use credit cards, not really knowing what was on the other side of them, have them default, go into collections, that whole thing. Through that journey, I learned that credit is as much of an industry as any industry. The game is learning how to pay off what you owe, right? But then not have to be, have your credit damaged for it because credit, all credit is, is risk and trust. If you really think about it, right? A credit company is lending you money at a certain interest rate. They're taking the risk, which is the interest rate that they're determining. Okay. How much? 
is this person going to risk this money? Is this, am I going to get it back? Am I not going to get it back? Your interest rate is what determines that risk for them. And then they're trusting that they're going to get this money back as a reward for your trust they will incentivize you by making sure your score stays intact. And now, especially now in this new economy, the um, the rewards are even greater. There are airline rewards, restaurant rewards, supermarket rewards, sports rewards. The rewards are endless. So in learning that this was a matter of really not risking my relationship with banking institutions and then creating trust that I could be rewarded for, that was what kind of catapulted me into this world of credit and really nailing down my expertise because now I am working with women and helping women get credit cards that allow them to earn up to $1,200 a year versus pay interest. But that requires a budget. That requires really knowing what you make. That requires really getting to know what your expenses are. But the options are there. You never have to pay interest. You don't have to see a dollar in interest. And credit card companies hate people like me. We teach you how to not get in debt, but also maximize on those rewards. So those experiences with, with not being a good, trustworthy lendee in the past have definitely helped me shape how I approach credit now and the strategies that I use so that consumers don't have to go into debt. They don't have to be afraid of credit and they can actually leverage it to make money and have other opportunities like travel rewards and other perks that may come with the credit card. Beautiful. So one of the things you said before we went to the break was credit as a blueprint, credit as a financial blueprint. Right. I think those were your words. Mm -hmm. Can you speak a little bit more about what you're talking about there? Yes, of course. I can look at someone's credit report and I can tell a lot about their relationship with money by looking at those three numbers, by looking at what's on the report. Um, I can tell, because there's a lot of information on there. I can tell how often you pay. If you were experiencing any hardships, I can probably gauge around the period of time where you were. Um, I can gauge whether or not you have a good relationship with the banks, depending on what they're reporting on your report. Um, I can also really gauge whether or not lenders may want to work with you in the future. And a lot of consumers don't really understand what's on their report. So Looking at it may not look like a blueprint to them, but it is the blueprint for your financial future. If you're not able to access credit, unfortunately and ironically, it is a wormhole that gets deeper and deeper and harder and harder to get out of because the worse your credit is, the worse off your credit is, the harder it is to access credit, the harder it is to access the luxuries of life. So that blueprint really does shape how not only someone like a lender would look at you, but how you are going to have access in the future for your finances. Mm. Beautiful. So one of the things that I heard you say there is that consumers. So are your clients mostly consumers or do you have a clientele of business owners? Because one of the things that I didn't discover mm. until I had been in business, I mean, I, I understood because I had been in the real estate business, I understood, you know, obtaining lines of credit from banks for things like my last real estate project was 51 single family houses, 56 apartments and an office building. We needed to have loans from the banks for that. But when I started in my own like solopreneurship mm -hmm. without partners, I didn't find out until, let's see, probably at least seven or eight years in that there was such a thing as business credit. So do you work with people um, both on the business to consumer as well as business to business level? 
Yes, absolutely. However, the business clients, they have to have a proven track record of good personal credit Mm -hmm. because it makes it a lot more difficult to obtain business credit if your personal credit isn't up to par. You don't need them. You don't need the two can be independent of each other, but it's so much more difficult to obtain lines of credit, have good business relationships with banks if your personal credit can't be leveraged, especially at the beginning. So personal credit has to be on par. Um, Everything has to be, as far as your personal expenses, you have to have a good working budget. You have to know how much you make before I work with you, for sure. Mm, Beautiful. So let's talk a little bit about the emotional piece. So do you do work with your people mostly on the practical side of things, or do you also bring to the table some support from a psycho-spiritual emotional level where you help them to discharge, shall we say, Mm -hmm. the emotion that's keeping them in that bind? Yes. I joke a lot about how I'm actually not a financial strategist or credit expert. I'm actually a psychologist. (laughs) (laughs) And a lot of my work is centered around just breaking down that emotional burden and that financial trauma that people carry. Financial trauma is real. It's very real. And people don't know it until they have to face their finances. And they're like, why am I afraid? Some people get really agitated, you know, like they're not mad at you. They're not frustrated that she was just, everything is just coming down on them when they really look at how much debt they're in. So a lot of my work is centered around just dispelling some of those heavy loads that people have to carry around money. And then once they get to the other side, they're just like, oh, wait, it's not that bad. Oh, there are options. But when you're emotionally triggered and tied up into everything that has to do with your finances, it's hard to see. It's hard to know when you're emotionally tied to it. Yeah. So one of the things that I've noticed when I've been working with my own clients, and I actually help them to do what I call get wired up for wealth, which is a whole different kind of space, mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually around money, is the big emotion that I find for most of the people that I've worked with is shame. So I don't know if that's that's the case with you, but if there was one thing that you could offer to our listeners that could be an immediately actionable step that they could take right now to at least begin the process of dismantling some of the emotional charge, what would you have them do? I would have them have a conversation with themselves. As long as you don't answer back, it's fine. <laughs> as long as it's, it's a one-way conversation, it's okay. Have a real conversation with yourself. Look at what it looked like for me when I was really ashamed of where I was financially was, okay, Natalie, you don't want to be here forever. You didn't know what you didn't know. Extend yourself some grace. Extend yourself some compassion. This could be really bad or it could be not as bad as you think, but either way, trust that we're going to be able to get out of this because we are capable. We are intelligent. You know, once we have the information we need, it's only up from here. So those conversations and just really having compassion for yourself will take you far and it will dismantle a lot of the shame. Yeah, I just really want to underscore that whole philosophy of reminding yourself that you you didn't know what you didn't know. Right. You really didn't. It's not. And again, not that it's an excuse. It's just right. a fact. If you didn't know what you didn't know, then you can't beat yourself up for it. Right. So I want to have in the last like two couple minutes, because we're down to the last couple minutes here. I would love to have you speak a little bit about how to 
keep the wedge in the door once the door is open. Like mm-hmm. now we've started, we've got our budget, we're giving ourselves some grace. We can see a little crack there. What is something that you help people to do that allows them to start to get momentum to get out of being in deep debt and into a right relationship with credit? Right. So the first thing to do is be really intentional about your spending. You will be surprised how much comes up when you pay attention. You will justify a lot of expenses. You might be an impulsive shopper. You might be a hoarder. You you won't know until you really pay attention, until it's risen into your awareness. So once you really know and you understand what your cycles and patterns are around money, the next actionable thing to do is call someone for help. For sure. If you don't know where to go, Google is your best friend. A lot of the information that I, I write about, a lot of the information I give is just a really expert compilation of information that I can that you can find on Google. It's all in one place, but if you needed to, like a la carte it, you can do it on Google. Also call, find resources, talk to people who know. Don't be ashamed, that's for sure. But definitely look at your personal finances, get intimate with them, and it's only up from there. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, I think the most important thing you said there, Natalie, is to make sure that you're reaching out for help. Yeah. Right? For sure. Yeah. And whether that means investing in yourself with a mentor, a coach, a consultant, or, you know, if you're at a place where the best you can do is invest 20 minutes of your time on Google, at least is putting you in the right direction and giving you the opportunity to get some momentum. All right. Well, we want to uh, remind everyone that you can find Natalie at convertedcredit.com and we'll have that for you in the show notes. And I want to say thank you again to you for being here today. Listeners, we do love feedback. Please let us know what you thought of today's show by calling into our listener line. We will have that for you in the show notes as well. Or you can send in questions or guest suggestions to listeners at wickedlysmartwomen.com. We might even give you a shout out on the show. Thanks for tuning in. Keep your ears open. And remember, you are a wonderful woman. Thanks for tuning in, downloading, and listening. Be sure to rate and review Wickedly Smart Women on Apple Podcasts and share with other women who can benefit from today's episode. Wickedly Smart Women is the premier podcast series for informing, activating, and inspiring the leader who carries profound wisdom and knows that now is the time to welcome wealth. We welcome your feedback and guest suggestions and invite you to subscribe to our mailing list to be notified of each new episode at wickedlysmartwomen.com.